Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Kendrick. I'm a pastor here at Calvary Church West Hills. So grateful that you guys are here this morning. I'm going to get to say something for the last time in over six months. Today, we are going to walk through the Gospel of John, right? For, for over six months, we have been walking through John. Today, we're going to look at John 21, the final chapter, and we're going to end there. You can go ahead and turn to, to John chapter 21 right now, the last chapter in John. I'm going to be really honest with you. This was a very, very interesting chapter to study because nobody knows exactly what it means, right? There's been a whole bunch of debate, right? And, and if we go back to chapter 20, the last two verses in chapter 20 are the perfect, well, not perfect because they didn't, but they appear to be the perfect ending for John's gospel, He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, right? That puts a nice, pretty bow on the gospel of John. Well, John didn't stop there. He kept going. There's this epilogue. There's this closing, and no one can seem to agree on exactly what that purpose was. Right? There's Bible scholars that they look at this and they compare it with John's other letters and they say, oh, this is simple. This is just John. If you look at his other letters, he wraps them up, puts a nice little bow on them, he ends them, and then he keeps talking. Right? They say John is the perfect pastor. He has three end conclusions and just keeps talking. Right? There's some of those artsy people, those philosophical people, which are God's children too. I just don't always understand them. And they say this, this ending demonstrates that we never really come to the end of the gospel of Jesus. We will never outgrow our need for the grace of Jesus. So that's why he continues. Then the cynics say, hey, the end doesn't fit, right? John already ended, so this must have been added by somebody else after his death. Somebody just threw something in to the end of the Gospel of John. And then there's others that have just taken this section out of context of the rest of the Scripture. They've made doctrines and they teach Bible, what they call Bible truths that don't align with the rest of Scripture, that they're based on what is considered elementary language translation contextualization. What that means is poor translations. Right? They didn't do a very good job of translating this. And that's a huge mistake to do that because besides teaching heresy... It takes away from what John was trying to teach with this passage. And if we look at this passage, and we look at this passage in context, it actually makes a lot of sense what John was trying to do here. Right? This final chapter gives us this clear picture of what it looks like to believe in Jesus. Right? He gives us these three illustrations from Peter's life, and he says this is what it looks like to be a believer, to be somebody who follows Jesus. The Gospel of John has historically been a a book that people have thought of was geared towards what we call pre-believers, right? Unbelievers, people that are still wrestling with do they put their faith in Jesus or not? And that's a pretty uh, logical argument because John wrote that the purpose was that you may believe in Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's the purpose that John gave for writing his book. 
But here at the end, John has a, a special message for those who believe. He gives the believers a little taste, right? Those that are trying to follow Jesus. Because too often we think that believing is the end of the story. I remember I was at a church and a pastor came up to me and said, hey, I want to hear what Jesus is doing in your life. And I arrogantly said, man, I've been baptized. Go talk to somebody else. Right? Like I was an Eagle Scout. Like I, I believe. And he said, oh, that's awesome. That means God's doing stuff in your life if you're a believer. And I want to hear about it. Right? But too many times we think that that's the end of the story. That once you put your faith in Christ and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, not just any Messiah, but the Messiah and your Savior, that that's the end of the story. And it's the happiest ending of all endings. And that is all true. That is a happy ending. And for all of eternity, we will get to worship in the presence of Jesus. However, this side of heaven, we still have some battles to do. We still have battles with our flesh We have to wrestle with our doubt. We have to deal with our failures, and we have to fight our pride. And in this passage, John uses Peter as an illustration for those things. That even when we believe, we will still still need to depend on God to help us with our unbelief. We'll still need to depend on God to help us with our faith. And through Peter's example, John demonstrates that when we believe, we'll still have issues with doubt, we'll still have issues with shame, we'll still have issues with our pride, but John gives us some things that we can do to fight doubt and to fight shame and to fight pride. But as we study these passages, as we look at these verses, we'll see that those things are not a cure unto themselves. They are just simply byproducts of following Jesus. Right? Following Jesus is what fixes all of those things. So when we truly believe, right, when we are the ones that have accepted these words of Scripture and we've put our faith in Christ, then we will follow Jesus. And John uses these examples to reinforce our belief, to encourage us along our trip as we follow Jesus. Even when it doesn't make sense, he says, no, 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 continue to be obedient, continue to follow Jesus. Even when you screw up, or when somebody else screws up, for better or worse, and sometimes we'll look at them and say, well, I didn't screw up as bad as they did, or we will look at them and our hearts will sink because we'll say, oh, God's using them more than he's using us. And John takes these this passages and encourages believers. So let's just go ahead and let's just drive into this. And when we've read John, at least when we've read most of it up to 21, and we say, okay, I I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we're all happy, and we do the dance. We celebrate. And then we get punched in the face as we try to live life. Right? We soon come to understand that believing isn't as easy as we think it is. Right? It's actually hard. It's difficult. What we find out is it becomes really, really messy in life sometimes and in this passage John reminds us that when we believe we just follow Jesus through it all let's go ahead and look at our first lesson in believing let's begin in uh, chapter 21 verse 1 verse 1 and after this Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias it's also the sea of Galilee and he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, 
Nathanael of Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, hey, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, and fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught, just have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now some of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now before we look at this passage, I just want to clear up some things. Basically, I want to clear up some things that we don't know, right? You may think that you know because someone has preached an inspiring sermon on them, or you may know because somebody has written a big book about them, or maybe you know them or have choose to believe them because somebody predicted the end of the world by something in this passage or some crazy idea that is taken from this passage. So before we go forward, I just want to move the things that, that I don't know, and I don't know because they're not explained in Scripture. I don't know why John didn't name the other two disciples, and I don't know who they are. I don't know if that was the same boat that they were in three years earlier when Jesus called them. We don't know that. I don't know why or if there's even a reason that 153 fish is significant. Right? When we went to Alaska, we went fishing. Our boat caught 11 halibut and 14 rockfish. And we told people that. And everyone on the boat took their own individual pictures with the entire boat's catch. The boat that got in before us caught about three times as much fish as we did. I saw people from our boat go and take pictures with their fish, right? Because that's what fishermen do. We like to tell people what we caught and what is there. And these guys were fishermen, and John is a witness to this event, and he is telling you what he saw, right? And sometimes having a witness there is more credible than a picture. You guys don't know if we caught those fish. I will tell you, you see that big fish in the middle? I would tell everybody that was my fish, like any good fisherman, it wasn't. Isaac, on the other hand, he stands there, and in his picture, he points to the fish he caught, right? So we're still learning fishing etiquette. Point to the biggest fish, right? And I don't know if the charcoal fire is significant. Yes, it is true that the last time that John mentions a charcoal fire is when Peter was in the courts as Jesus was being tried. But guess what? All the fires were charcoal fires at that time. There was lots of fires all the time. 
I heard one person describe that it wasn't that significant. It was just a memory jogger as you would see a movie zoom in on a charcoal fire and then zoom out into another scene. I don't know. But he mentions a charcoal fire. Maybe these things mean something, but we have to be careful when we start teaching truths based on our assumptions or what we think, especially when it's weird things, right? If it makes Christians look crazy, we really have to be careful. We have enough issues. We don't need to be making up our own, right? We don't need to be making up weird things out of nothing. So as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who gives the scripture authority, when we come across passages that we don't understand or maybe we don't know, we start with the things we do know, right? We start with the things that we do understand. So let me tell you something we do know. We do know that the disciples had not run away to Galilee to hide. They were not fishing in the Sea of Galilee or returning to their old way of life, trying to run from Jesus, trying to run from his lessons. They weren't trying to avoid him. They didn't go back home and get in the boat because they had lost their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And this is a common teaching. And I'm really, really surprised at how many people not only believe that, but teach that. Let me give you two reasons why we know that's not true. First, they've already seen Jesus in the resurrected form. Right? Verses 1 and 14 say this isn't the first time. In verse 14 it tells us it's the third time. Right? They didn't sit around with Jesus and eat with him and touch with him and speak with him and drink with him and then come to the conclusion, nope, this isn't real, he's not the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Thomas, when he realized that was the Messiah, he, he got on his knees and he worshipped and he proclaimed, my Lord and my God. And the other disciples looked at him like, told you? Like you thought we were lying to you? We all know that. And we know that this is not the first time that they had seen Jesus. They're not running from him. The second reason and this leads us to the truth that John is trying to teach about a believer's life. The disciples were not running from Jesus. They were being obedient to Jesus. They were doing exactly what Jesus had told them. If you look at Mark chapter 14, right before Jesus tells Peter that you're going to deny me three times tonight, basically, before the, the rooster crows, Jesus tells them this. But after I'm raised up, right after the resurrection, I will go before you to Galilee. Right? I'm going to head there before you guys. And then after the resurrection, when Mary entered the tomb, an angel told her, hey, tell Peter and the other disciples that Jesus is going before them to Galilee, just as he had told them. And then in Matthew, as the disciples go to the tomb, they see that it's empty, they, they know that Jesus is risen, they start running back to tell the other disciples, Jesus intersects them. What do you think he tells them? Go to Galilee and tell them I will meet them there. Right? This is, should be no surprise to us that these disciples are being obedient. They're not running from Jesus. They're being obedient to Jesus. A believer's life is a life of obedience built on faith in Jesus. It's a, a life in, of obedience built on our belief in Jesus. But here's the problem that we face. Right? We when we are obedient to Jesus, we think that everything will be perfect. We think life will be rosy. We think uh, the, the, the roses will bud. We think the insecticide we spray on our cucumbers won't kill them. It's not true. And we just think that if I just do what Jesus tells me, everything will be great. 
And when we see these guys out on the water, they've been working all night. They're pulling in empty net after empty net. Their hands are worn out. Their muscles ache. Their eyelids are getting heavy. Our first thought is, well, they must be running from the Lord. Right? They're not being obedient to the Lord. See, when things are bad, that means you're not doing what the Lord told you to do. And here's the problem with that. We all read Job and we all make fun of Job's friends. Right? We say, oh, those are horrible guys. That's bad advice. I can't believe they would tell Job that he must be out of God's will because things are bad for him. But when things go bad in our life, when things go bad in other people's life, the first thing that comes to our mind is, I must be out of God's will. I must not be following Jesus. I, might not, I must not be being obedient. We start to question if God really called me to fill in the blank. Maybe it's something as simple as love your obnoxious neighbor. We say, oh, that's uncomfortable, that's hard, I don't want to do it. Maybe it's something as simple as just loving that person sitting next to you right now. Don't look, just keep taking notes. (laughs) Maybe it's something more challenging than that. Maybe it's something as big as maybe a, a career change to allow you to disciple your family better. Or maybe God's called you to lead a ministry and so you were obedient and you realize this is messy, <laughs> right? This is hard. I don't think Jesus would call me to do something that is this difficult. Everything is just a mess. And we can tell you, and I say we, I'm talking about my wife and I, when, when God called me from the Marines to ministry, that is something we prayed about for a long time time and we said okay this is what God has called us to do we prayed and we prayed then I got out and then the job that I had when I was going to seminary said hey we're going to relocate you to Juba Sudan well now I don't have a job because I'm not doing that I couldn't do that at that time all right so now here we are um hey I don't have another option I'm going to go back into the marines while I finish this up this is a shocker the government lost my medical records Right, no service history, no medical history. So guess what they said? Nope, <laughs> right? Nope, sorry, too bad. So no job, no, well, what we felt were no options. We're stuck in Virginia, far away from all of our family. And we got baby number two on the way. And so now we really start to, to question God. God, did I, was I supposed to do this? Was I being obedient to you? And I remember my wife, she's like, well, we prayed about this, and this is what God called us to do, so it'll be okay. He'll be faithful. We'll be fine. Thank God for her, because I was a mess, right? I didn't know. I was struggling with it. I was like, how, how, how do you know this will be fine? I was freaking out. But I can tell you through that time in our life, through that period, God showed up time and time and time again, right? We, we prayed We would seek God's will. We'd be obedient to the the best of our ability, which isn't saying a whole lot, but we did the best we could. But in his faithfulness, God showed up every time in our lives. In churches, we follow Jesus. There may be days, weeks, months, even years when it feels like we are failing, when it feels like we must be out of his will. And we're like, wow, I'm following Jesus. I'm doing what it says. But it feels like everything is going wrong. And to make it worse, as we search for answers, as we search for purpose, we don't always see it right away. It might not be until much later, if ever. 
that we can look back and discover the purpose, discover the reason, see what God was doing in our lives. But it's in those times that the object of our trust will be revealed in our obedience. Right? Do we turn from what God is calling us to do to do something we can control? Do we turn from what God is telling us to do so we can be the one in charge? Do we believe, this sounds stupid saying out loud, but do we believe that we're greater than God? Right? Do we believe that we know more than God? Do we believe that, God, that we can provide for ourselves more than God? Do we believe that we can save ourselves more than God? But it's when we face the situations, it's when we remain obedient that what we believe will truly be revealed in our lives. And we see from this story that with obedience comes a, a great catch. Right? This, this catch that will follow us right into eternity where we will know the Lord more and more and more and we will we'll have a better picture of him until one day we are in heaven and we reflect his glory. We look at John's words at the realization of this catch and what's the first thing when he sees what they caught? It's the Lord. Right? It's the Lord and it's our obedience that points us to the Lord and it expresses this ideal for all of us as we toil through life as we remain obedient and we see God working in our life. And as I look back to those times in our life, I can just see the countless times that God was working in my life. He was shaping me to be more like him, growing my faith, revealing my need for him and my dependence on him. I had never spent a day in ministry. And when I look back now, I can say those times where God is revealing my need for him is the greatest lesson I could have learned before going into the ministry. Right? Those were days where God was laying a foundation in my life. And several years later, Melissa and I were talking about those years and what we learned. And it's really strange as people who grew up in churches, people who gave their life to Jesus at a young age, we look back at when we were 30 years old and we said, I learned I could trust God. I learned that God is faithful. And it's by that faith that I was obedient. But it was through that obedience that my faith in Christ grew. And that's the life of a, be- of a believer. It's one that is a life of obedience that is based on our faith, that is based on our belief in Jesus. Second thing that John wants to teach us, we find in starting in verse 15. And John teaches us that a believers, that believers live their lives for Jesus, not wait to die for Jesus. Look at this in verse 15. It says, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
Church, this is actually a beautiful passage about living for Jesus that we often miss because we get so focused on this tree or this word that we miss the entire context of what Jesus was trying to teach him. It's on this beach that Jesus calls Peter to live for him. Jesus asked him several times, do you love me? Then live for me, right? Then feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And if we look at what Jesus is saying, this sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew when he said, make disciples, teach them to obey the commands that I have given you. Right, that's the life that Jesus has called his people to. It's this call to a life of discipleship. It's the same call that he gives all of his believers. It's this call to discipleship that Jesus talked about earlier in John when he said, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If you remember the story a few weeks ago before the crucifixion, Peter had bragged that he would lay down his life for Jesus. We quickly learned that the rooster crows, and that wouldn't be the case. Right? He would actually deny him. And Jesus knew that Peter would deny them. He knew that Peter wasn't willing to live for them. And if Peter wasn't willing to live for them, Jesus knew that Peter wasn't willing to die for him. And so many people, I hear this all the time as a pastor, about I am going to give my life for Jesus. If somebody put a gun to my head, and we can say this in America because the chances are very rare that it's going to happen. But if somebody put a gun to my head, I would proclaim the name of Jesus. I would proclaim my belief in Jesus. But church, we have to be honest. Right? Think of yourself. If your quiet time with God is the lowest priority on your to-do list for the day, do you really think you're going to give your life for Jesus? If going to church on Sunday morning is such a huge convenience for you that you don't do it, are you really going to sacrifice your life for the groom of the church? If you aren't willing to give your time and your resources and your talents to Jesus, are you really going to give your life for him? Not a rocket scientist, not that smart. I think we can say probably not. Probably not. Right, the, the, the truth is, Jesus reveals to us here, is that anyone who yields himself to serve the Lord must honestly confront the matter of death. When a person has settled this matter of death, then he is ready to live and to serve. Right? We have counted the cost. What am I willing to give up to follow Jesus? What am I not willing to give up to follow Jesus? Right? When we read the scriptures, Jesus gives you one option. You give up everything or he'll spit you out. Right? Everything, your life is included in that. And we see here that now Peter has is ready to live and to serve. I want you to, to look at what Jesus follows Peter's death announcement with. Jesus tells Peter, this is how you're gonna die. And then look at what he followed that up with. The next thing he said, follow me. Right? Once, Jesus, once Peter had thought through that and went through that process, Jesus says, now, now you're ready. Follow me. It's only after we are willing to die for Christ that we can honestly follow 
Jesus. We know the story. We know Jesus' past. Where does it go? It goes to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. Are you willing to follow him there? And here's how you do it. You don't do it by saying you're going to die. You do it by living for him now. Right? That you live for Jesus now. You don't wait to die for him. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you later when I die. That's not the call to discipleship. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus calls us to a life of obedience, a life of following him. And so here, John tells us that a believer lives a life of obedience and a life that lives for Jesus now. And then we see this one final truth that John shares with us. After the beginning, I shouldn't say in conclusion, but this really is the last point. This is a believer lives a life that is focused on Jesus and it's not distracted by the things of this world. Look in verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him, that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And as I read this passage, Unfortunately, I can relate to Peter. This is us. Peter has just confirmed his love for Christ, just his desire to follow him. And Jesus says, oh, great. Not only are you going to live for me, but you're going to honor me with your death. And where do Peter's thoughts go? To somebody else. Right? Peter says, well, what about this guy? And he looks at John and he points at John. What, what are you going to do with him? And we would like to, in our nature, think, oh, Peter's just concerned about his friend John and wants to make sure that Jesus is going to use him. No, no, no. The way this is written is Peter is like, what are you doing with him? Is my ministry going to be greater than his? I want to be better than him. I want to sit at the right hand. And that is just what we do as humans, right? We like to compare ourselves to other people. We like to compare ourselves in everything. Body shapes, our jobs, our car, the house we live in, now it's to compare your pets, kids. We even compare our ministries with other people that are serving Jesus. Church, we do not compete what God has called you to do with what he has called somebody else to do. Church, we are a body who works together for the glory of God. Our glory is not important. He has gifted us, he has given us different abilities, he's given us different parts in the body. It's so that he is glorified, not you are glorified. Right? When we start looking at somebody else's ministry calling, and we say, oh, that's something I want, or I wish I could do that. Jesus' best answer is, what is that to you? 
The, the worst thing that you'd want Jesus to do is take you and put you in that ministry he's created that other person for. Right? There's lots of people that say, oh, I, I want to be a speaker, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. Great. Great. I was just reading a book, um, uh, John Wooden, and I thought it was funny. He said, for my friends, people that I have coached with, my prayer for them is that they would win one championship. For the few enemies that I have in the coaching world, my prayer for them or my wish for them is that they would win many championships. Right, he's talking about the burden that comes. It's hard, it's frustrating. People think it's, it's good. People think it's glorious. And John's like, it ain't that good. It's not all it's cracked up to be. And if we look at that literal translation that Jesus was talking about when he said, what is it to you? The literal translation of Jesus talking to Peter is very simple. You, me, follow me. Right? You, me, follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about this other stuff. You just follow me. You, me, follow. That's what it is. You just keep on following. You don't worry about the things of this world. You don't worry about the distractions. You don't worry about what he or she is doing. You don't worry about that ministry over there. You keep your eyes on me and follow. That's it. The author of Hebrews, he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? Looking to Jesus. That should be the aim of every believer. That should be our focus, that we are just focused on Jesus. That is our practice in life. That is what we do every single day. To be distracted by ourselves or our circumstances or, or by other Christians is to disobey the Lord. If you want to get out of the will of God, you start trying to follow somebody else instead of following Jesus. You keep your eyes of faith on him and him alone. Don't get distracted. The truth is we don't know what God has called everybody else to do. We don't know the calling that everybody else to do. And their success is simply following Jesus. That's just like yours. That's what determines your success. How well did you follow Jesus? It's not determined by the size of your ministry. It's not determined by the influence of your ministry. It's not determined by your popularity. It's not determined by your wealth. It's not determined by the, the number of likes on social media. None of that defines your success in ministry. Like our, our ministry and our life is simply determined by our faithfulness and our obedience to God. That we would just follow God. Amen, right? Somebody said amen. But this is the good news. Because some of you, like when I was reading, I was like, that ain't good news for me because I'm not really faithful or obedient. And I'm trying to look at this. But here's the good news for a believer. Right? For somebody who believes that Jesus is the Christ, for somebody that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, is that our faithfulness and our obedience is found in Jesus when he went to the cross. It's not found in who we are. It's not found in what we did or it's not found in what we're doing. If we call Jesus our Savior and our Messiah, our obedience, our faithfulness is found in him. That's where we praise God. That's where we say, thank you, God. 
right? When he went to the cross and his, his clothes were torn and his body was torn, Jesus wrapped us in his righteousness. Jesus clothed us in his righteousness. God the Father looks down and sees his faithfulness and his obedience in our lives. I don't need to compare myself to others or to judge my ministry or compare it to other people's ministries. I just need to remain faithful and obedient to, to Christ. I'll tell you a, a secret. I don't like to tell people about this. It's not bragging, but my life and my works and my ministry are all actually kind of pitiful without Jesus. Right? They kind of stink. They're kind of boring. They're filled with problems. They're nothing that any of you want. I try to give it away oftentimes. However, with Jesus, that is, I live for Jesus, and by his grace, and as he works in and through me, my life, my ministry, my family, they're pretty dang awesome. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. I mean, I screw them up every chance I get, and God still blesses them. And as we look at this passage, as we look at this closing chapter of John, John, as we wrestle with our own things, as we wrestle with our own obedience, as we wrestle with, am I, am I will, really willing to live for Jesus? Am I really focused on Jesus or other things? John just says, look at Peter. Right? Look at, look at Peter. We always talk about when people screw things up. We always say, look at Peter. Right? The guy that has the, the foot-shaped mouth. The guy that liked to fight with Jesus. The guy that told Jesus he was going to defend him. The guy that called Jesus a liar. The guy that denied Jesus. And John says, look at Peter. And God still used him mightily. Look what God did with Peter. And John's purpose in writing this gospel is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. And we think about life in his name. What does that mean? That eternal life, it's a life that is focused on Jesus. It is a life that is lived for Jesus. And it is a life that is obedient to Jesus. That is a life that is lived in his name. And it's only through Jesus that we can honestly say that believing is living. Without believing, we are missing the mark. Without believing, we are missing the joy and the peace, and the hope that comes in living for Jesus. It is that life that Peter, right, experienced. It is that life that John points to and says, yeah, you guys are gonna make fun of Peter for 2,000 years, but look what God did with him. Look what Jesus did with him. He believed and he followed Jesus. Jesus. 